We're going to be in John chapter 18 tonight. I know some of y'all are saying, praise God, Tim. It felt like we was in John chapter 17 for a gazillion weeks. It was only about six, praise God. So we're in uh, John chapter 18 uh, this evening. Um, so just to give y'all a heads up, I'm thinking uh, that tonight we'll, we'll do John chapter 18, and this will probably be the last week that I'm in John, because next Saturday will be the first Saturday in December. Uh, so we want to just kind of maybe just kind of press into Advent a little bit. So I'm thinking we may move uh, just for the Christmas season, move into the book of Matthew for the first couple few chapters of Matthew, and work through that just to celebrate the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus for December. Amen. Because we want to make sure that uh, we remember the reason for the season. Amen. Praise God. And it ain't so that I can get a whole bunch of new toys to play with. And so that we can celebrate Jesus and his salvation. Amen. All right. Praise God. All right. So John chapter 18. I'm going to uh, read verses 1 through 11. Um, and then there's some other, some other portions that I'm going to hit um, throughout John chapter 18. But I'm just going to start with verses 1 through 11 first. It says that when Jesus had spoken these words, because he had just finished praying for his disciples. He's just finished teaching them, just finished praying for them. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book, Brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Okay, so I'm just going to keep on reading. Um, we're just going to go back through and we'll, we'll, we'll dissect it once we get done with the reading. It says, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with them standing and warming himself. And so I'm going to skip down to verse 25. It says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. 
One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it and at once a rooster crowed. Then Jesus, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered to him, if this, was, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Praise God. So here's, here's the big overarching picture, the big point that I hope to, to drill into tonight and that I hope by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to communicate tonight um, that I hope we can land on. Um, I was reading a book by, called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And this is a quote uh, from, from that book. It says that wisdom is the power to see and the ability to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. I'm going to read that again. Wisdom is the power to see and the ability to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Praise God. I love that. I love that definition of wisdom because, because breaking it down is like, okay, if you're wise, you don't just see a problem. You actually have the best solution to the problem. And not only with wisdom do you have the solution to the problem, the best solution to the problem, you also have the plan by which to work out bringing forth the solution. Amen. That is a great, awesome description of wisdom. But here's the catch. The catch is human wisdom can be frustrated by circumstantial factors outside of the wise person's control. So I can have the greatest, the greatest goal, I can have the greatest plan, I can have the greatest steps to take to accomplish that goal, but you know that I can have the greatest of everything, I can have the most wisdom, but somebody else, I don't have enough power to stop somebody else from stepping into my stuff and potentially jacking my stuff up. Think about, think about your work. Think about your job. Like, like it's so easy to take our work, especially in America, it's so easy to take your job for granted, right? That, okay, I'm going to go, I get my check on Friday, cash the check, boom, and you're just going through the cycle, you're going through the rat race. But, like, I hope that COVID has shown us, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, that was great until furloughs started happening. Right? And then, okay, so business declines because people aren't out as much. And so business declines. So that means people have to be let go. And then people let go. And if you're not a manager or high enough in the, on the totem pole, then your job goes first. And so you start realizing that as secure as you thought things were and as locked in and as good as your plan was that you had together, that really there's a whole bunch of other things interconnected that if any one of those interconnected pieces, things, or things gets out of whack, your whole stuff is jacked up, right? And so, and so praise God, 
I read the, this portion from John chapter 18 because what I want to drill in tonight is, is praise God that our God, the God that we serve, Yahweh, Lord, Jehovah, Jesus, Emmanuel, Messiah, Christ. Miss Elise, you like how I said that like it was a middle name? Ha <laughs> ha. Jesus, Emmanuel, Messiah, Christ, right? He is so big that he has, that he is infinitely wise. He has all the wisdom. So that means that Jesus has the best plan. God has the best plan. He has the loftiest goal. He has the highest goal, the best goal. And not only does he have the highest and the best goal, he has the surest means. He has the surest plan by which to make sure it all works out, right? And praise God, because our God is all powerful, then that means that there's nobody or no thing that's big enough to intercept his wisdom and his plan, and he's always going to accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish. And I hope tonight that that's good news to your ears tonight, amen? And so, and so what I want to do is just kind of go back through uh, John chapter 18 and what we see here and how this is playing out, that, that man, God is big. Like our God is, wise, is infinitely wise and he is ultimately powerful. Amen. And, 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 I, and, I, and I did in the sections that I read, I read on purpose because we see, we see in verses 1 through 11 how Jesus is working out the big plan. And when I say the big plan, we know that ultimately this is all working out for him to go to the cross. And so the big plan is, is God is working out his plan of salvation for all of mankind, right? But then on a micro level, on a micro level in John chapter 18, we see, and in the book of John, we see that, that Jesus isn't just working out the micro plan for the salvation of mankind, that we can have our sins forgiven. He's also working out his micro plan that he has, that he has specifically intended and, and, and preordained for Peter. And I hope that's good news to you because I hope that you caught in there when we read that Peter denied Jesus three times. So just in the text that we read tonight, things aren't looking too good for Peter. But praise God, what we have right here isn't the final story. <laughs> Amen. All right, so with that, I've done kind of did the lead up now. Kind of hopefully I've kind of brought forth uh, what we wanted to, what we were looking for. And what we want to accomplish. So now let's get back into it. So just starting back in uh, verses 1 through 11 is, is each one of these things. I hope you see that. What I want to bring forth is Jesus was not a victim in any of this. Because notice he's, he's, at the, he's done prayed with his disciples. He's taught. And now he's at the garden. He's done cross the brook Kidron. He's in the garden. He's with his disciples. Right? And so it's not listed out in John. But if you go to other, other gospels where it talks about this, we know that he's been there with his disciples. He's done got Peter, James, and John. He says, hey, come with me. We're going to pray. And so he's like, Father, not, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. If you could take this cup from me. Right? And so that's all going on in this section here with verses 1 through 11, but praise God, Jesus was not a victim. Jesus is actually the conqueror, and even in the midst of this out of control, this seemingly overwhelming circumstance that Jesus and his disciples are, about, are, about, are entering into, Jesus is in complete and total absolute control during this whole thing. 
Here's why I say that. Praise God. Because notice the first thing it says was that there was a garden. Jesus went with his disciples across the brook Kidron to the garden. And it says, verse 2, or it says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Jesus didn't go to the garden to try to get away or to hide from, from what was about ready to happen. He went there because he knew that he had already sent Judas out and dispatched Judas to bring them to him so that he could be arrested. So he went to the exact place that he knew Judas would knew would be they would be familiar with so that they wouldn't have to look for him. He would be right here waiting for them when they came. So even the circumstance and the situation of, of where they met at, Jesus was in control. Right? So now, let's, so now let's look at the next one. And so it says that Jesus, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests, went there with lanterns, torches, weapons. It says Jesus, knowing all that would happen to them, came forward. Look at it said, Jesus knew all that would happen. So, it, so they're coming with these lanterns. And man, look at what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't, doesn't see that they're coming. This is what I would have done. I would have seen that they were coming and I would have seen, had the disciples and I would have been cuckoo and we would have squatted up and we would have. I'm dipping to the next one, right? We'd be like, who do you? And we was out, right? No. Jesus intentionally was at the place that he knew Judas would knew that he would be able to find him. Jesus knew all things that were going to happen, saw that they were coming, and it says that Jesus came forward. So he didn't run. He stepped into it and leaned into it and said, here I am. Right? And then not only that, praise God, it says that they came and it says, okay, whom do you seek? All right, so we know that anytime Jesus asks a question, he's not needing information, right? So he says, whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus says, I am he. In the original Greek language right there, what he really said in the, in the Greek was I am. And so English translators add the he so it makes sense in English. But he's literally saying I am. Which if, you, if you've been here, you know that that's the name that God revealed to himself in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He revealed himself to the children of Israel back in Exodus to Moses as I am that I am. So these, so these, so these soldiers, these cohort, these officers, they came to arrest Jesus. He didn't run from them. He ran to them. And he says, who are you seeking? I am. And notice that it said that they, they stepped back and they fell to the ground. And then he was like, okay, whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so he's like, okay, I am he. He says it again. And he says, okay, take me. I'm whom you're seeking. Let them go. And even in that, it says that he said that to fulfill, that he had, to fulfill the word he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And then Peter, good old Peter, Peter is like the big bad wolf. He's like, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down, right? Right? See, so so Peter takes the sword and whoosh, and like cuts Bruh's ear off. So I mean, like legit, Peter is legit taking his sword out to try to kill Bruh for real. 
And I guess bro was like the karate kid. So he's like, shush, like he did his matrix thing and like it only cut the ear off. And so we know from other gospel, from other, from other gospel writers that Jesus actually took the ear that gets cut off and heals the ear. And so he tells Peter, bro, put your sword away. This is to fulfill all things. And then he says, shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So, so I wanted to just kind of go through that because just to go back up, just to set the picture. So when it says, so when it says that, that, that Judas came in and it said it had officers from the chief priests and from the Pharisees, and it says a band of soldiers, he had a band of soldiers. So that band of soldiers would have been a cohort, a Roman cohort, which would have been 10% of a Roman legion. And so a Roman legion would have had roughly 6,000 men. So when it's saying that they brought a band of soldiers, it was a cohort that would have been roughly 600 men. And notice that it didn't say that they came with bells. They didn't come singing kumbaya. It says they came with lantern, torches, and weapons. So they came to get Jesus because these Roman soldiers, these Roman cohort, the only thing that they knew was that they were to go and help put down an insurrection because the chief priests have gotten in Rome's ear and said, hey, this guy is trying to say that he's king. Hey, this guy has come in and he's trying to usurp Rome's authority. Hey, this guy, they're trying to give everything they can to Rome to get Jesus out of the way, right? And so they sent 600 men, armed men, to put down a rebellion. So you can't tell me that they didn't come with the intention of not just arresting Jesus, but everybody with him. And, so, and so, so I hope you see the magnitude of what's happening here, that they come and Jesus says, okay, who, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And it says they fell out. Over 600 men armed. Jesus says, I am he. And they fall out. Who's in control? Not Judas. Not those soldiers. Jesus is in control. So then he gets at him again. Whom do you seek? I am he. And then he gives them the command. Jesus gives a command. He says, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm Jesus. Arrest me. Let them go. He says it's so smooth, it don't even seem like it's a command. But he, but he says, I'm he. You can arrest me. Let them go. And then think about it. After he says, let them go, Peter cuts off one of the, one of the servant's ears. Like if anybody deserves to be arrested at this point is Peter. He just committed assault on an officer. Like they ought to be glad they didn't take him and slam him to the ground and cut his head off right there. But, before, but what had happened? Before he cut off the servant's ear, Jesus had given the command, let them go. So that it would be fulfilled what he said that none none would be lost that were his. So then Jesus heals the ear and Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. If you think about it practically, it makes zero sense that Jesus is the only one that gets arrested after Peter just assaulted an officer. But that's exactly what happened. Jesus was in control. Amen. And so, and so, and notice at the very end at verse 11, he tells Peter, put the sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Whew. 
Praise God. So I want to I just read some, get, do some cross-references on, on what that means, uh, cup. So if you have the sheet, the handout sheet, it's uh, number three under the John 18 verses 1 through 11, where when Jesus is talking about drinking the cup that the Father has given me, Cup serves here as a metaphor for death. Cup here serves as a metaphor for the wrath of God. It says in the Old Testament, it refers primarily to God's cup of wrath, which evildoers will have to drink. So Psalm 75 verse 8, it says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it to the dregs. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17, Wake yourself, Wake yourself, stand up Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. And then in verse 22, he says, thus says your Lord, the Lord your God who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more. And so I hope you see there's other references there. But when he's talking about that he has a cup, like, hey, Peter, I need you to put the sword away because it is to fulfill all things that, that I'm actually being arrested right now. And so Jesus is in control of being arrested because he's saying right here, I, it, is, it is my destiny. The whole reason that I came in the first place was to drink of this cup, to partake of the cup that the Father has for me. And we see right here, praise God, that when he's saying cup, he's talking about my whole purpose for being here and the mission that I have to glorify the Father is to take upon myself to drink the cup of his wrath, to take on the wrath of God that the evil doing and the wickedness of humanity deserves so that by my death on the cross, my burial and my resurrection, you can be saved and have salvation and have forgiveness of sins. And so praise God. So not only, so, so, so Jesus wasn't a victim in the, in the garden. This actually, Jesus was making sure everything worked out and was working out the way it needed to so that he could be, go to the cross the way it was written, so that he could fulfill the Father's purpose, right? So, so John explained why Jesus was delivered by the Jews to the Romans. So, so check this out. We'll just see how some of these things start lining up. And, and then that's why I wanted to read some of the verses that I did about Jesus being arrested, going to Caiaphas, and then he was taken to Pilate. And we know that from Pilate, that, it, that, that from there he's beaten beyond recognition, that he's stripped naked, that he's nailed to the cross, all these things. And so the Jews and the Gentiles were all in cohorts with, with making this happen, the crucifixion of Jesus. But it says from, from John 18, verse 32, it says, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. John explained why Jesus was delivered by the Jews to the Romans. Jewish executions were normally by stoning. So if you've read the book of Acts, there was a, there was a Christian named Stephen. And so it says, so Stephen was standing before uh, the Jewish leaders. He was standing before the Jewish people. And guess who was, was holding the coats of everybody that was there? It was Saul, who later becomes Paul, the apostle, is standing there holding the coats, giving approval to this. So Stephen just, just finishes preaching his heart out, the name of Jesus. And all of the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people that are there, when Stephen preaches his heart out, it says that they accused him of blasphemy. They picked up stones and just, they didn't have a court. They didn't have a trial. He didn't get arrested. The people that were there just picked up stones and they just stoned him to death. 
And it says that he was there like until the heavens opened up and Jesus standing, you know what I'm saying? And he says, Lord, I'm coming home, right? And then boom, they stone him to death, right? So, so I point that out because, because notice this was, they had the Roman soldiers there. The Jewish leaders didn't need this Roman cohort to get Jesus. They could have just squatted up whoever the worthless men were that they wanted to squat up, could have got at Jesus, thrown some stones at him, made sure he was dead. Rome wouldn't have cared. They didn't care. Like, oh, you said that he was causing trouble? Okay, good riddance. That's one less thing that I got to take care of. So, so Jesus not even getting stoned, the fact that he was even arrested is a part of the plan. Jesus was in control of the fact that he even got arrested and not stoned, right? And so it says that John explains why Jesus was delivered by the Jews to the Romans. Jewish executions were normally by stoning, which broke bones. The Roman method of execution was crucifixion. It was necessary for three reasons for Jesus to be crucified by the Romans at the instigation of the Jews. A, it was to fulfill prophecy. One of the prophecies was that none of his bones would be broken. That was John chapter 19, verses 36 through 37. And that's a, that's a reference back to Exodus where it says, that, hey, if you're going to celebrate the Passover feast, that you need to partake of, of a lamb, you need to partake of a, of a lamb whose, whose leg, whose bones have not been broken. And it's only partaking of that Passover lamb that with the bones not be broken, is that a satisfactory um, sacrifice for sin in your place that I will pass over your sins, right? So praise God, isn't it something that in John chapter 1, verse 29, that John the Baptist says that he saw Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't it something in John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, that Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So, so, man, praise God. So, so I hope you see what's going on here. Jesus is saying, like, I'm not a victim because a victim has no control over what's happening to them. Jesus wasn't a victor, victim. He was the one coming up with the plan. He was, he's not, he's not a, how is it that I've heard? If you haven't heard this before, praise God. But I'm, with all this internet and social media that we have, Jesus was not a victim of cosmic child abuse. Notice that Jesus says the father didn't abuse Jesus by sending him to the cross. Jesus said, I willingly lay myself down and have willingly am taking my life back up again. And so praise God, that's the purpose and that is the whole point of the, because remember we've been going from 13 to 17, we're in chapter 18 now. All of this is being done during what time for the Jewish, that their Jews are celebrating? Passover. So what Jesus is accomplishing and what they're working out step by step and point by point is that Jesus is making sure that he's arrested because he can't be stoned because if he's stoned, that could potentially break some bones. And so if his bones are broken, bones are broken then he wouldn't be the, the Passover, a satisfactory Passover lamb, <laughs> right? So Jesus takes care of that, praise God. 
So it says that he, go, that he goes to the cross. Well, what's the, what's, the, what's the beauty of him going to the cross is that, and man, I thought I had my cross references right here in this section. But the beauty of that is, is in John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus tells them way back in John chapter 3 at verse 14, it says that Jesus says that just as Moses and them, they had sinned and praise God, there were snakes that were, that were biting people as a part of the judgment of God, that they were getting bit and were being killed. And so it says that God told Moses to fashion a bronze serpent, to hold it up, put it on a stick and hold up the serpent on the stick. And anybody that looked at it, if they got bit by these vipers, they would be healed, that they would be saved from the judgment of God, right? So in John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus said that just just as the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man, so must the Son of God. So Jesus was even letting us know way back in John chapter 3, the means by which he was going to be crucified, by the means that he was going to be dead, dying, and it couldn't be because of stoning because that would break bones. So it had to be that he would get lifted up. So it would have to be through crucifixion. Praise God. So just as that serpent was lifted up to, to cover and bypass the judgment of God on the Israelites, praise God, Jesus was nailed to the cross and was lifted up on the cross, praise God, so that God would pass over the judgment we deserve for our sins. So that whoever looks on Jesus, whoever calls on Jesus shall be saved. Praise God. Right? Man. All right, so that's the second thing, praise God. So let me see what the third thing is. Okay, so that was actually just the first thing. So the second one is, is this included both Jews and Gentiles in the collective guilt for the deed. So Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 27, it says, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both heaven Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the people of Israel. So what's the importance of that? The importance of that is God was making sure that regardless, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of color, regardless of creed, it doesn't matter. We're all, we're all sinners before God, before a holy and righteous God. We all fall short. Before a holy and righteous God, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, and so by Jesus being found guilty and put to death on the cross by, by a teaming up of both Gentiles and Jews, he's letting us know no one is excluded from being guilty and deserving of the wrath of God. But again, praise God, so just as everybody's equal at the foot of the cross, that all are guilty before God, praise God that all are equal before God at the foot of the cross calling on the name of Jesus. So regardless of color, regardless of creed, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of culture, Jesus died for the nations. Jesus died for all. So it says in Revelation that on that last day, when we're all in the new heaven and the new Jerusalem, praise God, and the new earth and the new heavens are formed, it says that there will be called, and it says that Jesus will have called to himself out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, men and women, to himself to proclaim the glory of God for all eternity. 
So so praise God, I can look out and I see black, white, brown, different backgrounds, different classes, different economic status, different, it don't matter. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Amen. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that through his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. But I, but I hope you see that, that even just from these first 11 verses from John in, in chapter 18, I hope you see how one thing after the other is all playing together and all tying together. And all of these dots are, being, are circling together to do and accomplish exactly what Jesus wanted it to do and accomplish. And even though they came and they had the numbers and they had all the, all the power, Jesus had the control. And that takes me back, praise God. I hope you can see Jesus is infinitely wise. So he had the best, he has the best goal, the highest goal, the salvation of mankind. And he knew the plan. He knew the plan on how to accomplish it. It's going to need to be Jesus who is God the Son, the only, the only one who would be worthy and is able to receive and take on the, the, the punishment and the wrath of God and absorb it and still come out on top is going to be God himself. And so that's God the Son, Jesus, had to come. So that was part of his infinite plan. That was his goal. He had the highest goal of salvation. He had the highest plan on how to accomplish it. And praise God. that that we have a God that is all powerful, that regardless of what anybody might say, think, or do, they can't get in the way of what God wants to accomplish. And that's good news for us because as much as Satan was trying to inspire and lead and trick and deceive men and women to get in Jesus' way, trip Jesus up. Oh, man, we want to send him to the cross. Oh, we want to do this. Oh, I'm going to send him to, oh, he, we might have to run, so let's send 600 soldiers. Like he was working out all of this stuff, and God was like, thank you. You're just working out and you're just running. You're just walking right into my plan. And so I'm taking what you meant for evil and I am putting it together and working it out. And I'm taking all of these different pieces and all of these different things and putting it together like a beautiful quilt and just sewing it all together so that all of these rugged things that you've been trying to do to hurt me, I'm using it all and turning it into something beautiful for the good of my people, salvation. Wow. But... Here's the beautiful part of this. Notice that what what was also highlighted during this time was Peter. And if you remember back in John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38, way back then, remember Jesus, they were, they were, him and the disciples were having the Passover meal together, right? And so Jesus had taken off, taken off his outer garment, had went around to each of his disciples, washed their feet, told them that, hey, I'm giving you an example for you to do likewise, right? And so, and so Jesus begins to tell them like, hey, I'm going to be going away. And so Peter is like, well, I want to go with you. And Jesus is like, you can't come, bro. And Jesus and Peter's like, why can't I come? And I was like, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. I'll follow you even if it means that I got to die. And Jesus is like, really, bro? All right, I'm paraphrasing. You can go back to John chapter 13 and read it. But he's like, really, bro? He's like, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to, de- before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Okay. And then even with that, in Luke chapter 22, during that whole thing, Jesus even tells Peter, 
Jesus even tells Peter, he says, you know what? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But don't worry, I've prayed for you so that your faith won't fail. So Jesus is letting know, hey, Peter, as bold as you think you are, as confident as you think you are, as self-assured as you think you are, as, as ten toes deep in following me as you think you are, I know your heart and what's in there better than you do. And so I'm just letting you know ahead of time before it even happens, Satan has asked to sift you, but praise God, he's not allowed to go any further or do anything more than what I have accomplished, want to accomplish in your life. Okay? So he's asked to sift you, but praise God, I've prayed for you, and so your faith won't fail. Praise God. So then we get here to John chapter 18, and we see Peter, he's being faithful to his word. Right? Where's all the other disciples at? Bro, I'm back here in the back row. Peter's up here with the sword. He's like, swishing, and he's, he's flailing the sword. And Jesus is like, bro, put that thing away. Put it up. Like, I, I have to fulfill. I have to drink this cup. I've got to fulfill the Father's plan. Put it away. So at this point, what, what, what does that seem like? Man, so if I'm Peter... And, and, and I have, Jesus has been telling me he's going to be going away and he's telling me how it's going to happen, but I haven't been comprehending it. I've just kind of been in my gusto. I know what that is. I'm so, I'm so hyped up. I hear you, but I don't hear you. you. You know what that is. Like I heard you, but I didn't really hear you. That, happens to, that happened to Peter a lot, right? And so, and so, man, I could just see Peter and like, man, Jesus just got arrested. And so it was like, man, this, this is God. This was the Messiah. He's the one that I've left everything for. He's the one that I've put all my hopes in. And I'm looking at this, just standing here, seeing what's going on. And, and he, now he's being arrested. He's being taken off. Like he's on his way to going to Pilate. So that means he's about ready to die. And it's like all of my hopes and my dreams and everything that I have that's wrapped up in Jesus just seems to be going away. And I don't know what to do about it. I'm completely and absolutely confused and befuddled right now. And so it says that Jesus, who was willing, who Peter, who was willing to stand up to 600 armed men and take a sword out, that it says a servant girl at a fire, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No. You know, you know how that is sometimes. You got that chest all stuck out. And then like, won't you with Jesus? And you're all like, you know, like, no. Right? So, so, so we see that Peter denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus said would happen. Praise God. But if you read through the rest of the book, we see and you read through the passion sequence and Jesus it goes to the cross. He's buried. He dies. rises on the third day. And it says that the women go to the grave and they're the first ones to see, see Jesus and they go run back. What does Jesus say? He says to those ladies, he says, go back and tell my disciples and Peter that I'm alive. Whew. Right? Peter, so then Peter and John, they go run to the grave and they go look and they see it's empty. And they're like, whoa, something's going on, right? Praise God. And so it says that if you go to John chapter 21, very last chapter in John, it says that, that, G, that Peter is just like, okay, let's go fishing. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I'm just out here busted and disgusted. The only thing I know to do is what I've always done, and that's go fishing. So Peter, James, John, the whole crew, they get together, they go fishing, and it says that they see someone on the, on the land, 
and they, they, I already see fish cooking. And the person on the land screams out, like, have y'all caught anything? And they're like, nah, bro, we've been out here all night, ain't caught nothing. And so the man on the shore is like, okay, take your net that you cast on this side, cast it on the other side. So boom, he's like, okay, why not? It ain't gonna hurt nothing. We ain't supposed to catch nothing now anyway, wrong time of day, but why not? We ain't, it ain't gonna hurt nothing. Lay it down, boom, they get a catch, bit more than they can handle. And so it says that the, that the disciple that Jesus loved <laughs> told Peter, that's Jesus. And it says that Jesus got out the boat and he, he got to the shore as quick as he could. And Jesus was there and met with him. And Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And so even, even in Peter's failure, even in Peter's rejection, even in Peter not knowing his own heart, because above all else, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Even in his failure, it says that Jesus, after his death, death, burial, and resurrection, took the initiative to meet Peter right where he was at and call him back to himself. And church history tells us that the way Peter died, he died a martyr's death, lifting up the name of Jesus, and he was going to be sentenced to be nailed to a cross, and he requested that they turn the cross upside down because he didn't feel that he was worthy to be killed in the same way that his Lord and Savior was. 